All right, let me see. Hey, how's everyone oh. doing tonight? Oh, there's Hector. Getting the panels now. There he is. Hector. Oh, he's, he's got the uh, little bit of a shadow going yeah, there. Yeah, is he a little. Uh, you growing a beard there, Hector? Yeah, a little hair, no glasses tonight. It's just, uh, it's just uh, laziness. It's a busy week. <laughs> Why do you think I have a beard? It's just lazy. Exactly. <laughs> How you guys been? Uh, good. good. Yeah. Sorry, my uh, my uh, my messenger wasn't updating, so I wasn't seeing the the links you guys sent. Oh, that's all right. That's all right. Well, what are you drinking tonight? Um, my friend bought me for my birthday some scotch called Avalor. Never had it before. It's pretty good. Twelve year. Your voice seems a little, little um. Hoarse oh yeah, I know. I got, uh, I got very, very little voice. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be precise with my words. <laughs> so, so notice how he he did not say I'm gonna talk less. He just said <laughs> some words because it is Hector Garcia here. We're talking about <laughs> words are my weapon, my friend. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Well, so Hector, you had a you had a great topic uh, we could talk about tonight. We're talking about. Um, if you were, if, if everything you, why don't you, why don't you pr phrase the question? He was better. Yeah, I, I would say, if you think what a, what a subscription is, right? Whether, and we do the whole spectrum, right? A magazine subscription, we subscribe to our water services really, because we don't have, we don't deal with any humans, right? It's not really a, a service. You can subscribe to it. You consume it. You subscribe to your phone. Um, we subscribe to our iPhones. If we're paying, you know, monthly, you know, and we subscribe to QuickBooks, we subscribe to so many things that we that we look at them as, or we think of them as subscription. Right. We don't think of them as a service. Um, so when it comes to accounting, I've been thinking, you know, what uh, what does that look like in the accounting world? How do you how do you get the same concept of making your accounting services a subscription? Does that change what you do? Does that change how you package it? Does that change how people perceive it? Uh, does that change how we price it? Do we not value price anymore? Do we massively customize tiers? So I wanted to kind of talk to you guys about, you know, what if your your services were a subscription, not a service? Would that be different? Would that word make it different? Yeah. And I, I uh, and I, I was texting Michael when we were talking about the topic, and Michael says, "Well, my." My services already are a subscription, so let's let's start with that. Can you can you tell me, Michael, why you believe your services are, are a subscription, or at least tell us what about your business is a subscription, and then maybe we'll talk about what 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 it would not be. Yeah, that's that's great. Um, yeah, so I I think actually with them when you clarified it more, it helped me understand. But so technically speaking we are subscription and that we charge a, a, a value priced monthly fee, right? It's a monthly fee that's determined. We present to the cost, our customer, they agree to it and it renews every month and we use practice ignition. So it, it auto charges our customer every month. So our customer knows the price they're going to spend with us. They know the services they're going to get back. It's outlined in general um, to some degree of specification in their agreement there's a way to cancel, right? There's a way to, um, there's a way to cancel. There's a way to uh, 
kind of dispute charges, you know, no different than um, other subscriptions, except they are, they are interacting with the human being for their service. So they're interacting with their bookkeeper, the bookkeeper that's on the reconcile team. Um, well, so let me ask you a question about right. that. Yeah. They're, they're interacting with a human being because, because they have to, because you correct. are not giving them a choice, right? Correct. Um, that, the reason for that is because we, we don't know how to do this without the interaction, right? The interaction right. is an important part. And I'm not saying to take it away, um, but um, if you were to maybe take away some of that interaction and make make the, the fulfillment of the service more systems-like, you know, sort of like other subscriptions, how, how would you do it differently or... or what would you have to have in place to do something like that? Yeah. So, um, and I guess kind of that's the route that a, a, a bot keeper or a bench or in De Niro, these other competitors in the space have kind of tried to go on towards. So there's a few things. One is you'd have to, let's just say we didn't change the pricing mechanism and we changed the way the service worked. Um, I think we would basically say somehow in the terms and conditions, we would, we would say uh, we will, we will do the transactions or post automatically items that we have source documents for and everything else will go to uncategorized or to a, a standard category that you as the customer are uh, responsible for handling, right? So maybe uh, in that sense, it's kind of similar to the how Netflix or Apple, they can't really give you recommendations until you actually start watching videos, right? Hulu and uh, all, all these sites, they're going to give you default things. So they're just going to show you default defaults until you start actually clicking on things like, oh, I'm going to watch action movies over and mm -hmm. over again. Oh, I'm going to watch Sylvester Stallone movies over and over again. Then you start getting these recommendations. So in the same way, you might have a you might have terms where it's like, okay, we're going to categorize. But if you go in and start categorizing some things for us, we're going to remember those things and just standardize that categorization. Or we're going to look at his, his, your historical data in standardized conversation, but you're never really going to interact with anybody on our team um, unless you have a customer service issue. And that's no different than a Netflix, right? Yeah. I, I guess unless you want to, unless you need to, because yeah. we, we, that, that is the edge anyway. I mean, that's, that's, that's what we as a, as a profession. We're saying uh, is the edge or the value we're providing. Right. right. We'll, we'll hang on to that. I mean, for as long as you know, QuickBooks and Intuit and other folks start stepping into our business because they are. I mean, that's yes, yeah, that's not that's 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 inevitable. People are up in arms about the TurboTax commercial that says, "Oh, it comes with a CPA." Like, oh, Intuit, you're 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 taking our business because you're telling people that software comes with a C for us, you know, with a CPA. So what we're gonna bitch and complain about this? Right. somehow think that that's going to solve the problem. That's not, I mean, we, we, we do need a human being at some point, but people, I mean, I mean, I think transparent pricing is probably one of those things that drives people towards automation. It's, yes. it's not so much the, the, the fact that a person's doing it or a computer's doing it. At the end of the day, uh, people really don't care who's doing it as long as it gets done. But with humans, there's always, you know, vari variability because let's face it, we're not computers, right? Right. So 
humans always insert that concept where pricing will be high, highly variable, service will be highly unpredictable. If you got one person working on it today versus another person working on it, you may get different results. So people get wary about the transparency around, okay, price versus result. This is why people love to pay subscriptions of any other sort because the the expectation of what they get and what they get, it's always aligned. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not saying that we should transform our businesses to be as low touch point as possible. <laughs> what I'm saying is that the QuickBooks of the world are going to take away some of the things that force people to have interactions. And therefore, we think that that's our difference. And, and that really isn't. That's the difference because we're not computers, but otherwise you wouldn't. People want to work with people when they need to, not all the time. Right. That's a really important point. You know, like, for example, when you, when you call an 800 number, most people say, I want to get someone on the phone. I, I, I get that. But if you're calling the 1-800 number to get the store hours, and the first thing they say is the store hours, and you got your answer, why would you want to wait two more minutes to get someone on the phone to get the store hours? You got you to gotta get the point here. People are not always looking for human interaction. Um, think about the whole trend with phone calls and text messages. There are so many cases where, dude, you could have just sent me a text message and we, we could solve that five, right. five minute conversation. Right. We are not always looking for human interaction. Well, our we customers see customers yeah. as well. We say the same thing. Yeah, exactly. We say the same thing about our customers. Our, I'll have customers who call me. I say, hey, I'll remind them every time. Can you next time just shoot an email to the email address where the bookkeeper who does your work actually will answer your question faster? Because you're trying to get me on the phone and the question you asked, somebody else on the team could have answered for you a lot faster because they have access. They're, they're looking at the data every day. So you're right. Or you could have Slack channel Texas. You know, so you're right. The oftentimes, um, but it's, it's, it, it, it is interesting. We, I think in our profession, we're actually scared. Most, most people in a profession that I meet are scared or afraid to standardize um, because it forces you to say, the majority of what you do is actually repetitive, kind of invaluable work. And there's actually, there's actually only a few things you actually really do that are your core differentiators as a person that you're really valuable at. And maybe 90% of your time is wasted. And so it kind of makes you have to face that fact. And that's, I, that's really hard for us um, to deal with. Andrew, what, do you, what are you thinking about, about that? Well, this whole topic is really interesting to me because I'm probably the, of the three of us, the most towards that automated aspect um, where we, we've implemented a lot of uh, automation within our, within our process that, and eliminating people um, using workflow automations within Infusionsoft. And that has, there's both blessing and curses. Uh, 
to that even in the comments it does somewhat dehumanize the process um, and this is a service-based business which is about relationships so it's it really is important to make sure that you balance that um, i'm all for automating where we can and enabling clients to get their own answers where they can um, as long as it still has a personal feel because that's the bottom line is we are selling a service um, and a lot of of this service um, so it's it's a really tight rope that you've got to walk um, to go down that road of do you just completely automate it and make it a software and I, I don't think I don't think that that's the right answer um, because I'd say we're pulling back on that um, and trying to add in more um, human intervention and it's still very systemized way and trying to um, automate that human um, and and give that personal feel um, as much as we can, but still have it very systemized, um, very cookie cutter, um, and very process oriented. Um, and that's that's something that we struggle with on a regular basis is trying to figure out what is that balance. And you know we've made mistakes along the way. We've had people say to us, "Look, you're sending us too many um, emails, too much communication, too much. It's too it's too robotic." Um, well, um, the other thing that's, that we do that's, I think, different than a lot of people in the industry is um, we're more towards the fixed pricing spectrum than the value pricing spectrum. I know one of the things you were talking about, Hector, when, when we were um, DMing before the session um, was this idea of, well, if you have a, a price that you actually put on your website that's a locked-in price as opposed to a value price that you that's actually what we do so if you go to our website you can see our pricing hmm. and you can actually buy our services directly from our website by choosing from one of our goldilocks plans <laughs> um, and what's interesting about that is is it's still 95 percent of our business and our sales are driven by um, an initial consultation and a face-to-face -face meeting but we are getting that five percent of people who are coming to our website choosing a package and signing up for it signing up for it with zero um, zero intervention along the way um, so and I think that that number is going to grow mm. um, because um, the reality is is that we have to have our differentiators um, but it's you know a commoditized industry it's becoming more and more commoditized and what you have to be able to do in my opinion is sell your differentiators on your website because the bottom line is if you can't sell it on the website if you can't sell it at whatever the first point, maybe it's not your website, maybe it's social media, whatever it is that that first point of interaction, if you're not selling that value, then they're off to the next website. And, and you know, people want answers and they want immediate gratification and they're surfing the web to try and find the best value, not necessarily the best price, but the best value. And they want to sign up and engage with that as quickly as possible. So it's the first to respond with the best value. So, um, Andrew, what about your services are subscription-like? Like, if, if there's anything that, that you can say, well, this part of my service is subscription-like. You already told us that the pricing and the packaging feels like that because sometimes they, they, they walk in, they pay you, they hire you, and then maybe at that point you, you, you do get involved and, and get the questions answered and stuff. But what about it is um, subscription-like? 
So that there's some number of hours that they can utilize sort of like a Netflix, you can watch as many videos as you want. It's up to you how much of that you use. With us, we do have a cap depending upon the the different bracket that you're in. So you're capped to, um, and this is how we prevent, you know, us from getting screwed. We learned this the hard way in the early days. Um, so basically, if you buy your different tiers, um, you're unlimited up to a point. And then beyond that point, you're either moved into another tier or those overages in in those tiers. Um, because that's the only way that we could make it, lock it in without, you know, getting screwed because we got screwed on on the first couple where we're like okay this is what we think we should be in budget and then we had clients who basically and when, and when we first started we we're like yeah you can ask us any questions anytime you want and what happens when you do that they ask you every question every minute book every meeting they possibly can and so well we build built our pricing all around what we we said unlimited conversations they doubled the amount of conversations they would have with us so we had to find a way to, to make sure that we were protected against someone wanting to speak to me every day about stuff that really didn't matter. Um, so we basically, you have a subscription for a service that includes certain features. Um, and if you want to go outside of that project scope, or you have to buy the um, a la carte services on top. I think it's, it sounds like it's the, it's almost like, um, you know, you guys were probably old enough to be around when Netflix was just DVDs, right. And yeah, yeah. some streaming, but Netflix at the time was just DVDs. And I still think they have a semblance of DVDs where they actually you, do that. You service. mail them, right. You, you get, yeah. you can check out two or three at a time. Yeah. You yeah. Them onto and they were competing them. against Blockbuster at the time, right. Blockbuster. So we're kind of in that day where it's like, okay, Netflix did this subscription, but as, as, as Andrew said, they defined what you got. So you could yeah. do one DVD in a month, two DVDs a month. It was like one, three, and then unlimited or something like that. Right. And, you know, uh, some people did the two, some people, and they were test almost like testing out the market of who would go which way. Um, and who would be, you know, the, 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 the users that would cause the most pain versus the users that were the users they wanted to level out at. Well, then streaming came to be, and that's when the ultimate subscription where because everybody every everything's unlimited. Now, what do they do with with subscription? The way they limit you is actually they limit you on uh, devices. So if you actually look, a lot of people don't know, if you yep, look yep. at your Netflix um, subscription, you can actually increase or decrease the amount of devices you can be on at the same time um, and logged into um, or have your 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 username and um, password connected to. So that's really interesting how they control it that way instead of um, now, because now it's subscription that there. So we have to figure out a way in our profession to, we're kind of in those Netflix DVD days right now. <laughs> you know, we're doing this thing, calling back and forth. We kind of can control when we get back to the customer, create the cadence, create the expectation and say those words. Um, but at some point, if we figure out how to really scale and finding human beings was not an issue and finding skill set was not an issue, then there'd probably be some standard price for the service that was fairly standard across the board, just like Hulu, YouTube, Netflix, you know, Apple TV, they're all, there's a standard price generally from 10 to $15 a month, you're going to pay for the service and nobody can really sway from that price except for 
maybe additional premium features or something. So we're not even there yet. We're at that DVD level, right? We're still at that mailing level. Yeah. And, and to tie in to what Andrew was saying, the, the biggest fear that anyone has towards, okay, I want to offer a subscription service. Um, probably, and this is what's going to happen to most accounting firms, I think, that when they go to subscription service, because they don't have systems that can track this, check out, right? You checked out this many hours, you checked out yes. this many resources, you checked out this many emails. We, 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 we probably don't have a good enough system to people sort of self-serve on, on that, right? Um, our biggest fear is offering this concept of unlimited um, and not being able to, and, not, and getting, uh, offering unlimited and then getting to the point where capacity runs out, whatever that unlimited is, and then the quality of the service goes down because we can't respond fast enough or dedicate as much time as it needs to interact with our customers or not be able to go home at night at a decent time, like 6, 6 or 6.30 or something like that, having to stay in the office until 9 o'clock just because the owners are the ones that always pay for capacity problems in, in the offices. So. The biggest fear everybody has, most people have, is offering unlimited and then not having the capacity to serve it within business hours, within normal hours, and as the owner being getting the blowback of either staying until three o'clock in the morning solving problems or refunding money, which is even more detrimental. So it seems like putting a backstop to the unlimited or being able to ration or plan for unlimited capacity plan is going to be the ultimate goal mm -hmm. so maybe we, let, let's have a little bit of fun and kind of think outside the box because i've been thinking about about a lot about innovation lately because i have a I have a program that i'm putting together for accounting professionals that i'm coaching some people it's called the alt accountant program and one of the sections is on innovation and i've been doing a lot of soul searching to figure out exactly what's going to be the the project that's going to give people that 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 light about innovation to make, because that's the capstone of the project. So thinking outside the box is very important for innovation. So let's think about all the businesses that have abuse, that have abuse or potential abuse outside of accounting that has this unlimited offering. And let's, let's reflect upon how they stop it or maybe brainstorm of how they stop it. So let me start with the easy one. All you can eat restaurants. Okay, let's start with that one. Right. What ways have you seen, this is actual things that you've seen, restaurants put a backstop to the all you, in the all you can eat model? Um, Lower quality food. <laughs> well, uh, no, I, I'm it's talking not a about- a backstop though. Yeah, I'm talking about ba backstop. I'll eat crap loads of crappy food. Like, like a real backstop. So I'll, I'll, give you, I'll give you a couple. So one, um, Huge restaurant in Caesar's Palace. All you ah. can, all you can eat crab legs. Yeah. Okay. I've not. I've, I've been there three times. I love the place. <laughs> I, I almost fast for a week to get there because I really want to <laughs> stick it to them on the crab legs. Mm -hmm. So I noticed a couple of things. Then they, there must be like a hundred people that can eat in that place, mm -hmm. and they got one bathroom. Right. And, and I know that sounds weird. And funny because you have to kind of like think what I'm thinking. Especially with the, especially with the word backstop. Right. <laughs> you have to think what I'm thinking. You know, if you lower the 
chances that you can go to the bathroom. You know, you may eat less, I'm just saying. So that's one of them. The other one is, if you leave the restaurant, like physically leave, and, okay, can, yeah. and they have it physically set up in such a way that once you leave, you left, you know, like, like yeah. Disney World. Uh, you can't come back. Right. That's interesting because right. I could just go to the bathroom in my room. I thought of that. Uh, <laughs> the other thing I, I've noticed is that they do put a, a, a two-hour limit on it. I did notice that. They do, put, they do put a two-hour limit. The other thing is the waiter specifically recommended how to eat. Mm. And they recommended a route that, it, that fills you up the fastest. Yes. And the consumes the cheapest food. Yeah. So these, so think about all the innovative ways they're offering for whatever it was, $37, unlimited crab legs, and they're great, king crab legs. How do they put a stop to it? Um, around the crab legs, there was so much other food offered. Right. Like, almost like you can't walk out without, without that. Um, <laughs> who the heck? <laughs> Go yeah. sit to all you can eat restaurant to go to the bathroom. Well, no. Who stays around long yeah. enough to go guys, to the you know, some, some guys want to beat the system. You know, so. <laughs> well, um, this is the same tactic of the Brazilian rest steak, um, steakhouses, right? So Brazilian yeah. steakhouses. Yeah, exactly. The whole point is the, the meat. But what do they do? They throw in the salad bar. And they want you to eat everything at the salad bar. They want you to. And finish. the salad bar is usually good, by the way. Oh, it's good. And salad it's beautiful, bar. and it's beautiful. Yeah. And that's why you want to eat. You know, they they put the light on there. It's fresh. Um, they usually have some side dishes like rice that fill you, what mashed potatoes, something that fills you, starches that fill your stomach, just enough to make sure you don't eat a lot of meat. And so by the time the meat comes, you've basically eaten half or three fourths of your meal. And you're like, can I have three pieces of meat? And you're done. It'd be interesting to know how much, how much the average customer actually, the meat is actually eaten at a Brazilian steakhouse um, in that sense. So yeah, you're right. There are, there are specific uh, ways in which they do that. Um, and then there's societal shaming. <laughs> they might try to do that often doesn't work though. Well, I think Tiff's trying to shame you. She's like, who stays in it and all you can eat long enough to have to go to the bathroom? Right, right. Was, Americans do, Tiffany. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, and and uh, now that you mentioned a Brazilian restaurant, I, I, I went to a Brazilian restaurant that was packed. And um, I was with, with a couple of friends. There was four of us. And I was noticing a pattern. They were allowing couples in. They were sitting couples in faster that they were sitting all guys in faster. Mm. Because I also think that, you know, all these like Brazilian restaurants and stuff and all you can eat restaurants. I also think that, and just, this is just average, that they make more with the women. Like, I don't think the women are as, as much as pigs as yeah. we are. Yeah. <laughs> um, when it, and they tend to eat more of the salad bar and that sort of thing. So I noticed that and I said, are, are these people, are they trained to like, let more women in because you know they're gonna make more money than if they have. I, not, my friends and I are all plump, you know. So they were like, you know, these guys are gonna, these guys are not gonna make us as much money. These are gonna couples. put us bankrupt tonight. <laughs> so, so uh, I don't know. Any other ways you've you've seen, you know, all you can eat restaurants or similar businesses that in in the food area that do that. Well, not in the food area, but. Um... Uh, Ian Yesberg said one of the things he does is he 
puts in a fares policy. That's the language he uses. So it's unlimited as long as it's fair use. Now, I'm curious what you guys think about that because, you know, that's kind of how do you, it's such a subjective term, fair use, because what I might consider fair use versus what you might consider fair use could be very easily mm -hmm. misconstrued. Yeah, that's true. Um, and, and basically what, you know, my concern with using something like a fair use policy would be that the what you're immediately going to get into is those people who want they're going to have a different perception of fair use than what i would consider to be fair use so i think that you have to like i get concerned about using a fair use policy i think you have to define what fair use is what do you guys think about that well, well, I was just thinking, um, you know, so this might be following the similarities. So cell phone companies, they give you unlimited data plans, unlimited cell phone, unlimited text, and then unlimited data. But they throttle the data at a certain gigabyte usage. So but they when, also make yeah. that clear. They don't say yeah. it's fair use. They say yeah, once they make it, it acts, clear, yep. we knock it down. Right. I think it's it's important that you have that that clarity that look this is it yep. covers up to this point yep. at this point i'll still give you support but it's you just know gonna what? slow down yeah yeah it's, it's gonna be once a week <laughs> you'll get a response instead of you, once a we'll day. give you unlimited support but once you ask the fifth question you're going to the filipino support center or the indian support center and not the qbo advanced support center. you know you're just going to go to or a the uganda yeah you, you're just going to go to a different support center right um um and and there, there, you know, there's there as long as you're trans. So that's what I say is if you're going to use something like that, just be transparent about it and then people yeah. won't be surprised. Um, and so well, like, like my issue with Comcast, you know, it's like yeah. I'm supposed to have a limited Internet and now I pay an extra two hundred dollar fee for for average because unlimited it's unlimited to the average person. Oh. The average person doesn't upload three videos oh. in YouTube. You know, a week and, and, and goes live and, yeah. and has four kids all watching, you know, stuff in YouTube. Um, you know, your, your kids are watching your, um, you. They're watching me. They're learning accounting. That's right. um, so, and I didn't know, like, you ever seen Comcast say unlimited internet, except for the folks that use a lot of data. Except <laughs> for Hector Garcia. Right, right, right. right. They'll never say that on the on their advertising, right? It's just right. Like, and, yeah. and there's probably a point, point one percent. Yeah people that, that use it, it's just very frustrating that that wasn't said to me. Um, so the point is, I think that we have to be, we have to watch how other people use the word unlimited. Oh yeah. Really for marketing more than anything else because they've done the actuarial calculation yeah. that, you know, in this bell curve, 95% of people will underuse it. And there will be a group of people that will abuse it, not abuse it, but their their usage won't be fair, and they'll probably they're probably okay with losing it. Like if I if I call Comcast and make a big fuss about it, they're like, go to AT and T, you know, because I, my my consumption is high. Just yeah. like when we have customers that call us and call us and call us and call us, and then we and then they call and complain yeah, right. about something, and you're like, you know what, go somewhere else. It's like, you know, you you abuse it anyway. Right. Um. But I think that's our fear. Our fear is. It's, you know, going back to all of our customer base and saying, hey, we got this new subscription service that includes this all-you-can-eat model that can consume all of our resources, um, no, no limitations, and then that we run into a capacity problem. I, I don't care if I have a customer that's using us more than normal, as long as we can serve them. It doesn't cost me any more money, right? Mm -hmm. As long as it doesn't take a week, 
you know, does it yeah. take um, does it take sleep away from me? Does it take time away from my family? It doesn't make me spend more money. I don't care if the customer overuses. Our problem is that those peaks cause stress. Yeah, I I think the way you'd have to approach it almost is say you can market unlimited, but then you say to your internal processes, in the standard the the you know you as a customer service agent or you as a bookkeeper, you're going to service these these ten or twenty customers, and you're going to give them. Um, you're going to respond to them as you can. And the ones that are upset with the service are just going to leave. And we're going to be okay with that. But the ones that stay, they're happy with the expectation of unlimited that we've kind of given them through our service. Right. But and so I don't no think you could, yeah. I mean, I'm going to call yeah. you out on that because I don't think you can do that anymore in this day and age of the thank you economy or whatever you want to call it. When, if you just shutter down the store, um, that's okay until they post a negative review on you on Google and that costs you 10 or 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 more clients because you chose to throttle down on a client who was actually a bad client. I think you got to be more proactive about it. And actually, I know it's like, I'm, it's easier to say than it is to do, but to actually um, terminate them. But may, maybe, you know, one of the other things that I think is really interesting about this concept of unlimited, you know, Hector, you raised a really good point that it's it's about, you know, knowing your numbers well enough to know, okay, that the average person is going to do this, we're going to get one or two who take advantage of it. And if we get them, we identify them, and we either move them up or we terminate them, because it's sort of like the um, money back guarantee. Yeah, and Hector, I know you offer a money guarantee money back guarantee. I, I, Michael, I'm not sure if you do we, we offer a money back guarantee. Yeah, just, just to um, clarify, you put that out I, there. Because to clarify, I not just offer a money back guarantee. You do it. Customers start pitching. The first thing to I say is, I just refunded you the money. What's the problem? I start yeah. with that because I found that when you refund the money, the customers disarm. They got nothing to complain about. <laughs> I mean, because they're technically for for a brief period of time, they stop being your customer. Right. So, yeah. so if you're gonna you're gonna complain about a future service we're gonna offer, uh, fine, but. You're currently not my customer. I just refunded you your, your money. <laughs> if you want to give me some feedback about the service, I'll take it. And if I can take that feedback and turn it into a win, I'll do it and I'll, I'll bring you back. But I think it's really important. This is a suggestion I make to you guys, to all my colleagues. Just make it a habit that customers are pitching. First thing you do is you write the check, check in hand, talk to the customer about the complaints. So you want to add that because that's been very powerful for us. Do you actually like send a physical check or do you just like do? Well, the depends on the situation. I mean, so m most people don't start complaining to me directly. They speak to some line, you know, line first line of defense person that right. doesn't have the capacity to refund. Right. But we hear what the problem is. And I, I do try to anticipate more or less kind of where the client's angle is because the client's angle is always, I paid you X and I didn't get Y. That's always the angle there. There really isn't anything else, you know, mm -hmm. other than insulting them or, you know, exploding their computer. But <laughs> all complaints are, I pay you this much, I got less. That's all complaints are like that. The minute you lower what they pay, if they got something, but they still got something above zero. So it, it just psychologically changes it. So for some folks, the ones that pay electronically, I just refund electronically and say, by the way, you know, or before we talk to them, sometimes before I call them, I send them the confirmation of the refund. I said, by the way, I just refunded last month's service. 
I heard what your complaint is. Let's talk about it. Let's see if we can win you back. You know, so that's how, that's kind of how we do it. Um, yeah, if it's a one-on-one, I'll probably do it with a checkbook. Yeah. Because I was just thinking a checkbook might be a nice thing because if you do win them over, they just rip up the check. Yeah, of course. It's happened before too. People say, I don't want your money back. Yeah. I want a solution. That's a, that's a different story. Because when people say, I don't want your money back, the solution, they're no longer complaining about the value. They're complaining about probably a true problem caused by my team or myself. And that customer you want to listen to because that customer is about to teach you a very important life lesson of something you overlooked. Um, but for the ones that take the money and they're like, that's right, you give me the money, then you know it's a diff- it was a different problem and you're probably not going to be able to fix it at the end anyway. Um, and that's, it's just, just my policy is I try not to pay myself until two months from the services rendered just to make sure that I'm okay with, uh, with refunding the money. So, I mean, you also have to, if you want to make this happen financially, you have to run your business as if you can't, you can't enjoy the fruits of your labor until the third month that the customer has paid you. Cause you have to have that reserve of one or two months to be able to refund your customer. So that's a really important um, part of it. I don't know what happened to Andrew. <laughs> He's doing something here. He's tying He's his shoe. So back to the, back to the subscription service. So Michael, yes. if, um, if you were, if you, if you, if you wanted to call your services a subscription, right? The accounting subscription reconciled it. What else would you have to change in your language? What you offer, what you have to do or not do in order to get closer to that? Yeah, we'd, we'd probably have to, we'd probably do, you know, two or three levels of price. Um, and we just take the average at each level that we currently have. So we take all our customers, we average it out um, at each level and we say, okay, um, the reality is if, there, if there's an average and it's been a, a few years already and that average really isn't moving up or not going to move up, um, we can move that up by just annual price increases, which you know what Netflix does or other services do. So we would say something, you know, like, okay, base, basic bookkeeping is at this or bookkeeping's at this, controllers at this, CFOs at this, and you sign up for it. And then um, in, in regards to capacity, we would just begin defining what is the average capacity level at each, at, at each level for each resource and start filling capacity for, for that signup. And then I guess go make sure we have enough capital or financing to, to, support, um, to, to support, support that. And in reality, most of these subscription services in the beginning didn't, they probably didn't know what the capacity was going to be like, right? So they try to, they try to, they kind of figure that out on the way um, and they had enough financing or equity um, capital to make sure that they had enough service capacity to do so. Um, and then they controlled that service capacity through planning or, or mapping or, you know, supply chain mapping or uh, service mapping. So um, we probably do the same exact thing. Speaking of capacity, a little bit more for our question, a little bit more for Hector, because I know, uh, Mike, with you, because it's most primarily bookkeeping, your workflow is probably easy to balance. Um, but one of the things I struggle with with um, tax is we have peaks and valleys. Hmm. Um, and so it's not um, it's not always that easy to manage those peaks and valleys, um, because ideally, I'd like to have the same staff member working on every single file every single year. 
but because of the peaks and valleys, sometimes we have to shift that. That works sometimes. Hector, do you ever struggle with that? Like having teams assigned to work and like how you balance communication of, of, um, of information on a file. Like, so right now we're looking at trying to find, um, a good communication tool, um, sort of centralized email communication so that whether it's this week, uh, Michael's working on the file, but next week Hector's going to be working on the file because of capacity. So that we can balance sure that we have all that communication centralized so that whoever's working on the file knows everything about it. So we're looking at a, a tool called front, uh, frontapp.com. And I don't know if anyone's used that or if anyone else, do you have that problem at all, Hector? Or no, your work is pretty balanced. We, we, uh, <clears throat> our, our business is, is siloed in, um, in a very specific way. We have three consultants who are, who are the parents of the accounts and each of the consultants has its own, uh, let's say sub consultant under it. It's really just a, like a sort of full-time bookkeeper that manages yeah. it. And there's always two people on every potential file. We make sure that they don't both go on vacation at the same time. And we don't, we don't move the cost, our customer around. So if we're going to have somebody out for a week, we tell our customers that, that the, the only way we found efficiency is by keeping it tight knit and it will not be touched by anyone else. And if you have an emergency, someone else will try to solve it. But if we're in the business where our clients have accounting emergencies, we're doing something wrong, probably. Mm -hmm. um, so we, we just don't, we don't run into that situation and we don't move customers around. So there's always uh, a parent and a sub under each job and, and that's it. It will, it will stay like that. And until yeah. we until we grow sideways, I don't think we're going to change that. We have a we have a parent and a sub, and sometimes depending upon the size of the team, multiple subs. Um, and it's usually in the subs that we're talking about where we run into this issue. So we have like what we call the account manager. So that's the point of contact with the client. That's the person that they have the relationship with. But then all the back office work, we we try to balance that amongst the back office team, and we're trying to figure that out whether that. We have to have like, do, does that mean we have to have two dedicated people for every team? Cause we're now at the team. And so we're like, well, if we need to have like, instead of one for each team, now we have a pool of resources, which is the model we're trying to, to move to. So it's still back office. So from the client's perspective, they have a relationship with one person, but then the back office work is pooled. And that's the model we're trying to get to right now to try and help us manage those peaks and valleys. Cause Unfortunately, with the tax, um, we're still somewhat reliant on when the client, we've got like something like 40% of our client load with one year end December 31st, which is about to, we're about to hit that, that, that problem right now. And so we're trying to staff up for that and try to, you know, be proactive about how are we, how we're going to handle this when it comes through the road, because we don't know whether you know, this account manager, that account manager, or this account manager is going to get the big workload first. So how do we allocate those resources? And what we're trying to do is do a office resource. But if we do that, now we need to have a centralized communication so that everyone, the entire pool has access to all the information around that file. So I don't have a, I don't have a good answer for you because we don't pool our projects in that way. Uh, the one thing I could tell you from my observation is when we have moved projects around, there's a significant decrease in efficiency. So you have to remember that. 
Yeah. So the, the the pro of never moving the the main person on the account is that that person is just going to get better and better as you go. The con is no one else can touch it. No no one else will know, will know what the hell's what the hell's going on with it. Um, and it's impossible to 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 service while the person's on vacation. That's a big big con. But um, you have to weigh them out. If you get a pool of resources to work on a client, they're going to work less efficient because they're seeing more things. And you have to cross-train them all the time to prepare them for the one time that they're going to get that client circling back to them, right? Because even with a pool of resources, you have probably 80% on one person and you will just have that easy fruition across your team. But so... So that's the only thing I could tell you that I'll know for a fact will happen. And that's what happened with the big four. That's the problem with the big four firms and uh, any other large accounting firm is one of the reasons why they're so expensive. Is that not just because the hourly rate is high. It's because it takes them three times as much to do anything because every single time somebody does something, it takes them 20 minutes just to figure out what the last person did. And us, the little firms, we have the advantage that we don't do that. We don't pull the resources in such a way where an employee has this awesome system where they can read the entire history and know exactly where they stand, which sounds awesome, but it's very slow. It's a very slow client switching process. And the client switching costs go through the roof. You know, switching from file to file makes you extremely inefficient. This is why we charge aggressively less when someone gives us 12 months to do at a time versus when they give us one month, one, you know, the monthly, like we have many clients that come to us and say, I want you to do bookkeeping and we give them a monthly fee. And they're like, well, we can't pay that. We're like, you know what? Don't pay it. Just give it to us at the end of the year. We can do it at a third of the price because we don't have to switch. And that's, that's why for us it's, it's so important to try to keep it within one person. Uh, so that's just, I'm not saying that's the right answer. That's just what's worked for me. And that's as much as I can tell you about that. It's so funny because we're like literally the polar opposite. We'd rather have more monthlies um, who are giving us the information because then we can um, balance over the course of the month, whether we're doing this file, that file, or this file. It's when they bring us in the end of the year stuff. And we have 40 other clients who brought us in the end of the year stuff and we have to do it first come first serve. And we're yet up against time constraints. So it's so funny that we have like literally the opposite problem. Well, I could tell you a funny one. We offer in October and November, 10 months and 11 months, almost at the same price as annual. And then on January, we just do in December. Like right now, we I, during October and November, we did so many customers up to October and November because we scheduled them from for a December tax planning session. We proactively called them and emailed them like around July and say, this year, this is what you want to do. You want to get your shit together by October or November and then schedule us during December so we can make some tax planning before the year ends. And we had a whole bunch of mini projects that we were doing awesome during October and November. And now in January, we have a whole bunch of clients that will just come back and do it one more month. And, and yeah. eight, 90% of the work, we did it right there before. And I think a lot of accounting firms don't think that way. They wait until January to do the whole, the whole right. year. Right, right. 
Well, I'm thankful that I'm not in tax. So <laughs> I'm really thankful for that. Yeah, we haven't even hit tax season yet, but we we've got uh, fun. We we've got um, on on the fifteenth. We've got our last source deduction deadline. February twenty eighth. We've got T fours and T fives. Then April thirtieth is personal taxes for us up here in Canada. Um, and all throughout that, as I said, December thirty first is our biggest year end. So they've started rolling in, and that's forty percent of our corporate tax work basically has December 31st year ends, which means they're they start rolling in now all the way up until the end of March. So hmm. yeah. and, and I'm, I'm reading the comments here, talk, people talking about monthly and stuff like that. And you, you're saying you prefer the monthly. I'm not talking about revenue guys. I'm not talking about like monthly revenue versus yeah, yeah. one-time projects. I'm talking about just sheer efficiency, like the satisfaction that I did so many transactions per hour get them when we do a bunch of stuff at a time so of course we love the recurring revenue but even even a, a fully set up fully perfectly well-run monthly revenue bookkeeping practice that also delves in tax is going to have a crazy january february no matter what um so i i'm okay with having a couple of crazy 11 months 12 month projects october and november um while we're at it so just wanted to answer that because you know between your comment, Andrew and, and Jacob was also talking about the monthly versus the annual. Um, and and there, there's some value to monthly. I mean, customers remember most of the stuff in monthly. In annual, people don't know anything. Like, what is this? I don't know. You know, mm -hmm. like, uh, that's, that's a challenge. I, I know. But most of the clients that don't remember January, it's their problem anyway. So who cares? You know, like, if it's wrong, it's your problem. It's your fault for not hiring us. Uh, monthly, you know, so we just put a patch and get the year close and hopefully yeah. we get them into a, a monthly system the next but, year. Uh, um, we're we're kind of wrapping up on our time, but I want to um, I wanted to ask before we end our time, and this is a bigger topic we could talk about next time. Um, but yesterday, I um, at my Vistage group, which is my peer mentoring group I'm a part of, I've been a part of for almost five years. Um, we had actually a, a speaker come and talk about the power of peer groups, which is really, really interesting presentation. So I wanted to hear from each of you guys, um, and I'll share too, what formal peer groups um, are you a part of or will you be a part of this year? And then- Friday Night Live. Yeah, yeah, Friday Night yeah, that is a peer. Um, so there's what formal peer groups and then what informal, if there is if there is a concept of informal, um, what formal in um, uh, what informal peer groups will you be a part of? And so for me, my formal peer groups this year are Vistage, um, which I'm, I've been a part of again for four and a half. This summer will be five years. Um, and then I'm doing a peer group called Future Firm Groups with Thrival. Um, so me and my accounting man accounting operations manager are doing that together. Um, and uh, so we'll be doing that formally this year. Um, so uh, Andrew and Hector, do you guys have any formal peer groups that you're paying for to be part of, or, you know, that meet half a day or a full day, like a, a month, a quarter or something very formal, um, that doesn't have, that's, that has an agenda, you know, that has a facilitator or something that you're a part, each a part of. I do have one, but Andrew, you want to start? But no, I don't have a, I don't have one that I belong to right now. Um, I used to do one with Thrival back in the day and it was huge value. And it's one of the things I need to get back into and, and, and so much so that it was 
one of the big ideas that I had last year that I was trying to work on was this concept of the just us league thing that I uh, tabled around a little bit was because I think that there's, it's, there's so much importance to, I call it an accountability group. You call it a peer network group, whatever you want to call it, this idea together with people where you sit down and you um, have an agenda and you come up with what your goals are and you come back and you meet on a regular basis and you report back on what you've done or not done. I think those, those organizations are amazing. And the ones I've participated in the thrival one I did was amazing. It was a huge value. Add. I'm not part of one right now. Uh, informally, I mean, we've got Friday night live that I do with you guys. Uh, there's QB, uh, connector, which is a Canadian one, um, where they have some face to meetups. Um, I do the, it's hard for me to do the face-to-face meetups. The problem I've struggled with now is um, a lot of the ones that uh, are the face-to-face meetups or lunches or stuff like that. Um, they're not the paid ones, but they're the somewhat formal. I, I call them quasi-formal. Um, are often in evenings or times that I can't do with my family. Um, and the business ones I used to like because they'd be during business hours, which is easier for me to Just sort of sit away from my clients, uh, but I don't like time to, taking time away from my family because I'm I'm already bad enough about doing that. Um, and so I'm not a part of Run right now. I'd love to hear about the ones you're participating in and suggestions on on ones because I think that they add a lot of value. Um, and I think that uh, it's really easy to slip into the day to day dealing with your work and with your clients and forget how important it is to work on your business and be planning and have a group of people that you respect that have an outsider's point of view and that create accountability for you so that when you say you're going to do something, you better step up and deliver on that. Right. So I think it's great. Um, I got to do more of that. I'd I'd love to hear what Hector's doing and and what the names of the groups are that you're doing, Michael. So I have a couple of peer groups. One of it is my wife, she's always been, she's been with me uh, in the business for 10 years and she, she hears all my ideas. Um, sometimes I don't get any reactions. Sometimes I get, that's a bad idea. Sometimes it's a good idea. Most of the time when she says it's a bad idea, that's when I know it's a good one. So I, she, she's, got a, she's got a really good way of telling me automatically what sounds, what sounds like mainstream and what isn't. Anything that sounds like mainstream, she, she thinks is a good idea. What sounds crazy, she thinks it's a bad idea. And I love the crazy stuff. So anytime she tells me, I don't think it's a good idea, that's when I go back and say, there's something to this, right? <laughs> um, so, so she's great for that. Also, in terms of making business decisions, she's great um, for that as well. Uh, my brother and my, and my dad, and I know this doesn't sound like the answers you're looking for, but I also want to let you know that your family circle it's, it's great people to talk to, you know, about, because they, they have a different perspective as well. So my dad and my, and my brother, when we meet almost every weekend or other weekend, I tell them about what I'm thinking about my ideas and I do get their opinion. And I bring that into consideration. I also have uh, my two partners and the, the, the way my business is structured. I think we can make an entire episode about that because I kind of sort of quasi-invented a partnership model. <clears throat> um, so my my two partners actually own their own businesses. They're, they're not technically not my partners. You know, I have my business, they have theirs. We just li- work under one umbrella and we set rules that we all abide by. 
Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and we pay resources together and we invest in marketing together and we reap the benefits of the availability of each other and our teams. So we have a very strange way financially how we manage things and it's worked really well. But we try to meet at least once a quarter. Uh, we're trying to make it Sunday mornings at 7 a.m. now. We, we're making it a power breakfast thing. Um, we'll be the first ones at the restaurant and, and we'll be kicked out <laughs> by 11. <laughs> All you well, can we, eat breakfast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so we talk about ideas and, 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 and what we're, what we're going to experiment with and how we're going to move forward. So those are like the not so obvious ones. Then some of the more obvious ones, um, I have a podcast that I created that every week I get together with another person and we talked about the business of advisory and, um, and we usually end up learning a lot from each other and, and, uh, and knowing how much, and knowing how much we agree or disagree with each other and developing ideas from there. So I think starting a podcast in which every week you talk about a different topic will be a great peer group for you to start. Um, and then we have in my office, we do every month, the, um, the water group. And, uh, I used to run that and run that for five years. And I was the one that actually put it together and did the topic and did the presentation and organized it. And I recently gave it to, not gave it, but stopped doing them. And I and asked somebody else, hey, you, you want to run this thing? And she says yes, and she took over. And so sometimes when I participate, I'm just another peer there, which is nice. Because it's nice not to have to make so many decisions for a change. Um, so <clears throat> so the water group, it's, it's one of them. And I know there's a lot of water groups that work really, really well. And that's something worth looking at uh, locally. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, maybe, maybe next week we can talk about, maybe it could be one of the topics sometime, the power peer groups. There actually been a, there's actually been studies on peer groups and actually what <clears throat> makes an effective peer group versus a non-effective one. Um, and the speaker I, I heard from yesterday um, actually studied peer groups um, in all the leading peer group organizations, Vistage, YEO, YPO, um, all the formal ones that, that are paid that business, you know, executives are a part of, um, and came out basically with a study. And, and, and so there's a lot of what you guys describe, um, I would say are a type of peer group, but don't fit in the definition of what, um, kind of many would say are effective peer groups or high performing peer groups. And so there's, I think there's uh that's a big topic for us to discuss is what, um, what are a, what is a peer group and what types of are there and which ones are effective, actually effective in moving you forward in your business as a business owner or a firm owner. Um, and which of them are more of like places you get advice or advisory information, but um, you wouldn't really consider them that a real peer group or a group that makes significant change in your business. Right. So there's like kind of different, places each of them have in your um life or your business or so what are the ones that work what what, what did he say were the things that what are the key things to look for in a peer group that well i think i think that's a big i think it's a big topic we talk about that next time we'll you leave get at least plant some seeds you can't leave us hanging we'll like leave that. some people hanging on this one so yeah um but yeah it's great talking to you guys tonight well, I Likewise. guess we are. We're gonna leave a cliffhanger then for everyone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, good. that's fine. I like that. Yeah, uh, Michael, <laughs> if, if if the guy is good, maybe bring him on as a guest. Is he? Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, I, 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 I don't Michael know if Geyer he's a night owl. I don't know if he's a night owl. He is on the West Coast, so maybe he'll join uh, nine thirty, nine thirty. 
at night. So uh, tell them that you know, you know, you know, sell it to them. Say that we have six to nine people watch us live. <laughs> and we could form one peer group out of them. <laughs> there you go. All right, guys. Well, have a great weekend. We'll talk All soon. Right. Have a good night. I nice see you guys. Bye. For now, guys.